In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Eric Rushbrook, Group General Manager for the Amphenol Commercial Air Group. We talk about the divisions and products within the Commercial Air Group and how they've leaned on the strengths of the organization to get through the coronavirus pandemic. We talk about his years working and living abroad in both China and Ireland for Teradyne and then for Amphenol after being acquired. We talk about his obsession with drones and his latest harrowing drone rescue story. And we talk about his favorite desert island music and movie, but we really need to work on his book. This is The Interface. Are you in your office at PCD or are you at a home office right now? I'm actually at the uh, office in Beverly Mass at PCD. Okay, so they let you keep that? Uh, no, I'm actually, uh, I've been moved out of the previous GM's office um, and I've moved into a conference room. And I thought it was really important that it, when Richie took over on October 1st, he had to physically be in the seat. So I spent kind of two days prior to that clearing out all, all the stuff I had moved to China, but never opened or moved from China, but never opened oh, really? um, and, and, and emptied the place out for him. So it was the cleanest it had looked in uh, quite a long time. So you just what found like an empty conference room or something and said, okay, yeah. I'm going to commandeer that. And, and well, uh, I was actually going to go into a supply closet. <laughs> so I, um, we have a lot of marketing samples that go into a closet and things have accumulated in there. Oh yeah. Um, there are no windows and I didn't want to take a conference room for myself, but the team here convinced me that me moving into a closet probably wasn't the right move for a group general manager. So probably not. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, applaud your, your, uh, your humble spirit to the whole gig by saying, sure, I'll go ahead. I'll go in the supply closet. But, uh, yeah, probably a good thing that you at least get a little bit. I of was going to make them put out. a window in one of the walls. Yeah. They, they were at least going to put a window in or but, do like, uh, you know, dentist's office and doctor's office too. just paint it, you know, put like some, you know, potted <laughs> flowers in there. Yeah. Yeah. Just birds chirping. The sun that is always out. Nice. Yeah. That would have been fine too. But I've lost my uh, I lost my fantastic view of the airport. And that's right. So now I, just, I just look out to the road, which is kind of not as not, not as nice. But yeah, at least but I have some sunlight coming in. That's true. At least you get yeah a little bit of that, uh, at least while it lasts until we go back to standard time. And then at 430, oh. it's dark. Yeah. Sorry, I don't want to depress don't, you. Don't get me started. Yeah, I'll depress myself as well. Tell me about ACAG. Oh. <laughs> All right, that, that's the but one besides, thing. That, uh, besides the fact that it sounds awkward to say. <laughs> it does. Uh, I, I, when anybody says ACAG, I, I reply back, you mean the Comair group? Yeah. And so <laughs> that, that's the way I try to, uh, you know, Amphenol is pretty funny with the acronyms. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of ones that are tough to say, but becoming Comair group general manager, first couple of months, you know, the only thing that we had as an issue was the 737 MAX. Um, and kind of the, the troubles that were associated with that aircraft. And then pretty quickly, you know, January 23rd hit, and I started wondering what was going to happen. And then March hit and yeah. things kind of just unraveled from there. And it, it's been, it's been certainly not the year I was expecting. Uh, we announced the formation of the commercial air group back in November of last year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was really looking forward to capitalizing on the momentum that each of the different business units had through 2019 and just watching a, a 2020 that was going to allow us to increase our collaboration, work more closely together, design and develop new products. And then it quickly turned into how do you make sure that 
you're controlling your costs as much as possible, you're forecasting as accurately as you can. Uh, and it's just a, a completely different set of priorities than what I had hoped for. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that there was nothing to prepare you or any other manager within this corporation or a lot of corporations around the world that prepares you for what you've gone through since, as you say, the end of January, because uh, the the portion that happened in in China first really did affect your business. So it's been, you know, almost a year now. But then you had to take that on with the added responsibility of being a group general manager, um, managing not only PCD, but three or four other divisions as well within Amphenol. And you must have just looked around and said, you know, Luke, what what did you get me into here? <laughs> I did. I, I actually, in in one conversation, I asked him, was it too late to, to take it back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I, I think Luke has uh, been steadfast in his resolve that, you know, there needs to be a commercial air group. And more now than ever, you know, that lean and hungry organization is really going to strengthen itself. So when the recovery does eventually come, and there's a lot of debate as how quickly that's going to occur. Sure. But when the recovery does come, you know, we're going to have a very focused, lean team that's really driving on all the right things. Let's shift away from the doom and gloom of the group for just a second as far as just the, the, the market overview, if you, if you don't mind, if that's okay with you. No, I, I, <laughs> I'd be happy to get out of the doom and gloom. <laughs> and just really focus on the reason behind the formation of the group and why you're so excited about it from a a product and technology standpoint with a synergy standpoint, working with the other divisions, as you started to to talk about a little bit earlier with the collaboration, what really gets you excited from that standpoint outside of the market for just a second? Sure. So I I think it's just the the vision that Luke has and Amphenol, I think in general has is as we get bigger, we need people managing, you know, bigger chunks of Mm-hmm. And, you know, while Luke is, um, you know, incredibly impressive in terms of his ability to understand the details of the business, travel like he used to, mm-hmm. be touching all the businesses, you know, the need for that to get down one more level is the big driver from an Amphenol perspective. And then, you know, for me, you know, Luke started out with these twinned organizations and, mm-hmm. you know, Ray and myself and Phytech, um have been twinned as PCD Amphenol, Phytech, and ECAD. And during that period of twinning, the willingness and openness of Ray and his team, every member of the organization, PCD team to collaborate and work together. And I just see, you know, the desire of those teams to learn from each other. Um, You know, we've been doing ops reviews and inviting uh, folks in, and they weren't just attending because they had to, they were attending because they wanted to, and it was interesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see when we have new product development or design activity, when there's an inevitable quality issue, uh, the willingness to reach out and just use and leverage the knowledge that we have. And now with the Comair group, including RLB France under Gilles' leadership, you know, I watch our engineering teams collaborate across the globe. I watch our sourcing and supply chain teams working together. And it's just the camaraderie of the folks recognizing that we are part of a Comair group, which is more focused uh, with a set of customers, with a set of expectations, and just that feeling of being part of the group is fantastic to watch. So when we talk about the group, just for people who don't know, when we talk about the Commercial Air Group, um, you and I are familiar with it, but just talk sure. about the, the bits and pieces of that group and some of their specialties uh, with regard to the commercial air industry. 
So I, I'd like to uh, start with our friends in France. Um, so under Gilles Dardenne's leadership, uh, we have Ampanol ARLB. And you know their technology and their claim to fame is by injection molding. So you have a process through which you do a rigid molded component. And then in that same piece of equipment, you immediately over mold uh, a soft silicone uh, material. And so you know they eliminate some costs relative to surface prep, primer, things like that. And they've developed a set of uh, wire harness management uh, components, clamping structures. Uh, they have a set of rectangular connectors. They have a whole set of products uh, related to the aerospace industry, and they have a very small amount that's outside of commercial air. Right. Their, their level of expertise is around molding by injection, and really they have a, a best-in-class manufacturing and a really strong engineering group as well. Um, and then we'll shift gears to my friends in the commercial air division in Sydney, New York. That's under Ray's leadership, lots of circular. Um, they have metal connectors, which PCD don't have. They do have composites. They're starting to work on some really good power products and applications. Right. And one of the nice things about their business is while they do have this commercial air focus, they also have a component of their business, which is military. And then if I shift gears to Amphenol PCD, we are kind of an extension of the RLB France. Um, and we have an office up in Montreal that do design and development for cable management uh, systems. And then the team here have their own proprietary products focused on commercial aerospace. But a lot of the products that they make are also dual use and are part of commercial air and military. Right. And so, you know, as this downturn is hit, the team in France has suffered a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. uh, the teams in the commercial air division in PCD, because they had that mix of military business, hasn't suffered quite so much because that still remains strong. And then the last component is the Amphenol Bitech operation. You know, they have some really great uh, technology in in-flight entertainment accessories for dual USB and other technologies with Bluetooth. And so they bring an intelligence to the componentry that we didn't have previously. You effectively moved on from your role as the general manager of Amphenol PCD, which you were in that, what, about 10 years or so um, in, yeah, in just Beverly, over, Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, now, now Richie Laxon has taken over uh, for you, but you've been with Amphenol for quite some time, and you were also one of many, I think, that have been in the company for quite a while that was initially part of an acquisition, right? Absolutely. With, yeah. with Teradyne. So if we just if you can, just talk a little bit about your time uh, at just specific to PCD, and then we'll move backwards. So okay. your time at PCD and, and how you got there and you know what you've really enjoyed about your time just managing PCD. Sure. You know, it was uh, how I got there. I'll start with that. I had just flown from China to California and I was managing uh, a backplane assembly and integration business at the time working for Rick Schneider. Mm -hmm. And I had landed, you know, I, I had gotten into the hotel um, and I got a phone call from Rick Schneider and he said that Adam was going to be calling me a little bit later. And uh, you know, there, there was an interesting opportunity that I should talk to Adam. About. And so I was kind of like, you know, still jet lagged and, you know, didn't really know kind of where I was headed and what the conversation was going to be. Uh, we've been talking about moving uh, back from China because my daughters were turning three. I have twin girls mm -hmm. um, and we wanted to get them into the U.S. education system um, and away from the expat lifestyle. And we were looking at San Diego. So I'm, I'm out to dinner uh, with a friend of mine and I, uh, I get a phone call from Adam. And he's talking about this opportunity and that he wants me to meet with Luke Walter um, and that Luke's a, and I had known Luke kind of peripherally from worldwide meetings and mm -hmm. things like that. And uh, he wanted me to meet with him, but 
Luke was uh, getting ready to go on a, a trip to India, followed by a vacation in South Africa, or I might have those two things reversed. <laughs> and if I didn't meet with him quickly, it would be at least two and a half to three weeks before I'd see him. And so at a, and, and it's like five or six o'clock at night and I'm, I'm out at a macaroni grill and Adam says, you know, there is a flight that you can take from San Fran to, to Newark. And, you know, you just get on at around, it's a 10 o'clock flight. You get off, you could spend 45 minutes with Luke. Um, and then you could get, you know, back to California after. Of course. So I quite literally uh, took the rental car that I had gotten that morning, drove to the airport, parked it, didn't return it, but parked it, paid the overnight parking, um, got on a plane, flew, met Luke in Newark for about 45 minutes, got back on the same plane and flew back to California. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was actually pretty fun. I, I you know, I, I uh, Luke's a fascinating guy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it clicked with me that I would learn a lot from him. And I think it clicked enough with him that I could be a useful part of his organization. And I think the rest is history. I, you know, when I joined PCD, I had some responsibility for a business in Australia. I had responsibility for an industrial business doing mainly terminal blocks and, and jumper cables for rail mass transit uh, in Shenzhen. And kind of over the course of the 10 years, you know, we finished last year um, at record revenue levels and just grew the business, improved profitability. And the team here that is supporting this business is keenly focused on customer satisfaction, uh, responsiveness. And, you know, I take a lot of pride in the fact that, you know, the sales force, even prior to Luke leading the whole AMAO, the sales force, which was used to be under Gary's leadership, always had a place in their heart for PCD and knew that if PCD was part of the process, that they would deliver. And I really put that up to the team uh, behind it. And so Richie now taking over, he's been in PCD for over 14 years. So he was here before I arrived. And I, I think he, there couldn't be a better leader uh, to drive this organization to the next new level. It's, it's going to be fantastic. No, that's great. And it's a fantastic story too. I mean, yeah. and I don't know how you didn't pass out then when you got back to California, you must have been I, I exhausted. Went straight, I went straight into meetings. I, I had to create a, a backstory of something had happened. Uh, I had to fly back to Pittsfield, Mass. I, I totally didn't go to Pittsfield, Mass. And, you know, it just <laughs> it evolved from there. I had to cancel a few customer uh, meetings and push some things around, but it worked out in the end. And you briefly mentioned it, and I, I definitely wanted to talk about it for a little bit. You were, as you term it, an, an expat. You worked for Amphenol, for TCS for years in China, yep. um, started a family there. Um, yep. What was that? Just what was that like? Uh, first working for TCS and then really living, spending your entire life in, in China and starting to raise a young family. What was that like for yeah, you? Sure. It was amazing. You know, I we spent uh, a total of eight years in China. Wow, that's a long time. I, it was supposed to be two and a half to three. Yeah. The way it happened was I was working in Ireland at the time and the economy, it was the telecom bust had occurred. And you know, we had customers who were all saying, you, you've got to move to China. And if you don't, mm -hmm. the business that you have today, and we were building backlink assemblies and making connectors. Um, if, if you don't, the business you have today is going to have to go to somebody else. And so myself and two other guys, um, you know, made the commitment to go to China and start up a Teradyne connection systems operation in Pudong. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was phenomenal. We, we had uh, our office space when we first got there. Uh, we were on 
Baihag Lu, downtown China in a four person office building or office in an office building. And we didn't have any customers, so we weren't shipping, but we were laying the groundwork for fitting out a facility and doing all this other activity. And then we started fitting out the facility, dealing with all the issues that come up. And I remember, you know, we'd go in a little van over to the facility. Um, we'd get a boxed lunch, which, you know, was a small portion of meat, a bit of rice and, yeah. and veg. And you never knew what was going to be looking up at you when you opened that box. <laughs> um, you know, it'd be a whole fish, it might yeah. be a frog, you know, any number of things kind of were served for lunch. Yeah. Um, and that was a lot of fun. It was kind of pioneering and, you know, fortunately, um, my adventurous spirit, which had taken me from Nashville, New Hampshire to Ireland and then on to China, you know, we fit in great with the teams there, uh, built an organization. Uh, we set it up for uh, semiconductor test manufacturing uh, for Teradyne Inc. at the time, mm-hmm. um, as well as our own backplane assembly operations. And, you know, during our stay there, right around October of 2005, the acquisition by Amphenol had occurred Mm -hmm. and, you know, that changed things completely and for the better. In fact, I I, I think, you know, it was fun being part of Teradyne and I learned an incredible amount of business process, seven steps, tools, you know, thinking uh, concepts, all from my time at Teradyne, which was immediately adaptable to the Amphenol model. And, you know, I was very blessed to have been kind of the one guy in China so I got to meet with Martin Loeffler, Diana Reardon, yeah. Tim Cohane, yeah. um, you know, a lot of folks during that whole integration and incorporation process. And, you know, fast forward, I went from being a business unit manager to being promoted to a general manager of that backplane assembly business. Mm-hmm. You know, and during the course of that time, we ended up, my wife and I, getting pregnant with uh, twin girls. And they were actually born while I was on a trip. Uh, so yeah, figure this. My wife in, is in Shanghai pregnant yeah. and I'm on our last sanction trip. We had not yet done the birthing classes. We were eight weeks away from the due date and I was just on a short trip down to Malaysia and with Bill already at the time. And uh, I got a call that morning from my wife saying that she was on her way to an appointment, which was already scheduled, but something was off. And so I spent the next, I don't know, 12 hours trying to get home and invariably the, the girls were born two months early. And, you know, they were taken to a special NICU. Uh, so Trisha was in the hospital downtown. Mm-hmm. The girls had been taken away to a NICU that was about 45 minutes away. Oh. They, they were born at 1.30 in the afternoon, and I got home at 11.30 that night. So I, I saw them for the first time the following morning, yeah. and I was able to make the way to the NICU. And that was just, that was an amazing experience. You're getting my pulse to rise just listening to that story. I, I could was not- great. I mean, Emily was two pounds, nine ounces, or yeah. it was three pounds, six. I mean, you literally could hold them and cup them in your hands. They were so tiny. Wow. Uh, my, my wedding band would fit over Orla's hand. Wow. It just, it was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, I know they turned out well, which is good. Oh, perfect. But, uh, yeah. But just from a, a, a personal standpoint, uh, outside of, of work with you and your wife and then with two young girls, what was the experience like for you guys as a family living in China? You know, being in Asia, we got a, a chance before the girls were there uh, for Trish and I to go and travel. And, you know, we went to Vietnam and spent some time in the Trung. Uh, we went to Cambodia. Uh, we went to Bali, Indonesia, uh, Singapore, and, and really got to see a different part of the world and to experience a very different culture. And we toured around China as well, going to the Great Wall. Uh, Xi'an, uh, spending time in Beijing, and then traveling to the little cities outside of Shanghai. 
mm-hmm. you know, one of our favorite experiences would be at the weekends going around and, and taking photographs of families in China. And you know, we, we picked up enough Chinese to have a chit chat and talk, oh, your child is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lovely day. Um, and we would go out and meet people and we'd photograph them and then we'd go home, print the pictures, and then we'd bring them back to the families. Oh, wow. And yeah, I, I have I have one photo, which is and there were about four kids lined up outside of this uh, door on the side of a building. And, you know, one little kid is like posing with a little uh, yeah. the Chinese peace symbol. Yeah. With the two fingers up, and just they were all smiling. And when we went back to them the following day with the photo, the mother was just amazed and the kids were just so excited. And, you know, that was really one of the things that we enjoyed the most was getting out and, and talking to people and being part of the community to the extent that we could. You know, when Orla and Emily arrived, they were blonde. Or actually, it took a while for them to get blonde. The first year and a half, they had virtually no hair. Yeah. But, you know, here are these two uh, Caucasian blue-eyed babies, twins. As soon as they found out they were twins, um, they, they were just amazed. And I can't remember how to say Swambao Thai or Long Thai is twins. And it's either Swambao Thai, if I have it correct, is male and female twins. Mm-hmm. And Long Thai is twins of the same gender. But uh, they would constantly want to touch the babies. They would want to get their pictures taken with the babies. And, you know, that became kind of a good interaction point as well. That's something else. I mean, here you are. You're from the U.S. Your wife is from Ireland, right? She's Irish. Yep. Yeah, um, I met her while I was in Ireland. Yeah, and, and you moved to, to China, and you're there for eight years. And I, I'm, in a way, jealous because I love that sense yeah. of adventure. I am so blessed to have been able to, um, you know, Early on in my career, you know, I was a manufacturing engineer, was certified by, you know, Mill DOD for soldering. So I got to go around and train our different facilities. Yeah. That's how I first went to Teradyne's facility in Ireland. And I, I came back and I talked to the management team and I'm like, guys, look, if there's ever a chance for an international experience, sign me up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it happened over the course of a two week period where things had kind of, someone had left on maternity leave, a manager had recently resigned. And the sales manager who was managing that group was over in the UK. And they came to me and they said, Eric, the opportunity is here. You can go be European marketing manager, but you need to be there in two weeks. So I had been living in a house with five other people uh, yeah. all, who all worked at Teradyne yeah. at the time. Um, I packed my suitcases, got on a plane. And two weeks later, I was, I was in Ireland starting out my career. And I was supposed to be there for a year and a half, two years. It was kind of a rotational thing. And uh, I got there and, you know, I ended up spending was it just over three years in China uh, or sorry, in Ireland. Yeah. So, between, but, you know, it was yeah. wild. <clears throat> yes. Geez. Between that and China, you got what, 11, 12 years living outside of, of your yeah. home country. And you've been back ever since you've been a PCD, right? So about yeah. 10 years yep. or so. Yeah. Do you miss it sometimes or do you get over there enough pre COVID-19, of course, that it, it, um, you know, it satisfied it. you. Yeah, I do miss it. And, and in the role in PCD, um, you know, my ability to get back to China was not to Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Um, PCD has manufacturing operations in Shenzhen. Yeah. And so Shenzhen is very different than Shanghai. And, you know, all of the, the folks that we knew and were friends with up in Shanghai, um, we wouldn't be able to catch them in Shenzhen. Um, so yeah, we do miss it. You know, my wife and I have talked about, you know, going back and we'd love to bring the girls and the girls don't really remember it. They sure. have memories of pictures and stories and things like that. But 
you know, it was just, it was fantastic. The people were just so welcoming and wonderful. And, you know, it just was such a great experience. Let's talk about your drone. Oh, <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have a bit of a problem. <laughs> yes, I, um, we need to talk about your problem. <laughs> uh, I so, feel like I kind of spurred this on, maybe a touch too. Well, so you, you certainly were a, a catalyst kind of post- um, so my very first experience with drones was yeah. um, I, w- I was at a, a, a shopping mall in uh, Shenzhen and I had bought one of those big styrofoam. It's about two feet by two feet quadcopter. Yeah. Uh, and then I bought a dash cam, you know, and, and you can get this stuff really cheap. And so, you know, I, I came home and this is, I want to say close to eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it wasn't a great drone and it was styrofoam and, and I had to take the dash cam and attach it to the bottom so that I could get camera footage. Right. And I, you know, that thing, I got it caught in the big maple tree and I was able to use uh, a pool extension pole yeah. to pull that thing down. And so, you know, I, that was my first experience with drones and kind of ever since then, you know, you've had your drone and I went out and bought a Holy stone yeah. uh, a couple of years back. Uh, it was one of the foldable drones and, you know, I played with that for a while and then, I kind of got bored of it and I, I gave it away. And so I had no more drones in my life. And uh, probably just about a year ago, I kind of got the itch to get a drone again. Yeah. Uh, and I bought a tiny little drone. It was a Tilo. Mm-hmm. And it's a company that is partnered with DJI. Yeah. And so you just use your cell phone and it communicates with the little drone. It's mainly for indoor use. And I thought that would kind of satisfy. And it did for a couple of weeks. <laughs> And then um, I had seen that there was the Mavic Mini, yeah, 249 grams, so it doesn't need to be registered with the FAA. Um, and so I, I, I bought that in a Fly More combo. And mm-hmm. it's got a little uh, handset, you put your phone on that, and you know, it, can, it can fly pretty far. And the funny thing is, <clears throat> I live close enough to the airport yeah. that you actually have to register for clearance before you can do that. Mm-hmm. And so I, when I first got it, I had been logged in on my DJI account for a Mimo, which is the little camera holder. Yeah. And I could not get the drone to fly. And I, I literally spent two days not telling Trisha that we live too close to an airport that I never will be able to fly this drone that I have um, <laughs> until I figured out that you just had to switch the account. Yeah, so yeah. I had to switch the account that I registered the drone on. Um, and then I go on their website and they go fly safe and I, I register and I, I take full responsibility for anything that happens and I can fly in and around the, uh, the airport. And then fast forward a couple of months, I'm playing with the Mavic mini. It doesn't have any obstacle avoidance. It doesn't do a couple of different things. And the Mavic air two has been previewed and I, I bought one of those. So I, I can say safely, I, I have a drone problem. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't end there because you know, that drone was about $800. Mm-hmm. You know, I was flying it one night, um, right around 4th of July. And we were hearing fireworks going off and I wanted to kind of go see what was going on, but I kind of wanted to do it in, indiscri- indiscriminately or discreetly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My neighbors are around and I didn't want them thinking I was kind of, so I, I put it down to the circle in front of my house and then just tr- tried to go up from there and it got stuck in a tree. It's 65 <laughs> feet in the air. Um, and you know, so I'm, I'm kind of sitting there like, what do I do? And I couldn't find it. We couldn't locate it. So I ended up flying the little drone up to the tree so I could spot where the big drone was stuck in the tree. Yeah. And we went through calling the fire department to see if the ladder truck would come. 
uh, we ended up getting a tree service guy to commit to coming up to us on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this he got stuck, I think, on Saturday. And I tried a whole bunch of different things to, to take a baseball on the end of a nylon cord and throw it up as high as I could. That didn't work. And then my daughter had found on YouTube a drone rescue device. And it's basically PVC tubing or PVC piping, a surgical tubing, a long dowel, uh, a fishing reel. Mm-hmm. And you, you shoot this thing over the branch and it, it takes the line over the branch that the drone is actually stuck on. And, and then you can work a cable or a cord through and then you can actually shake it out of the tree. And so it was a family affair. You know, Orla and Trisha were holding some furniture covers that we had fashioned out of uh, tablecloths and PVC piping uh, right. to protect some lawn furniture. They were holding that like a stretcher down yeah. underneath where the drone was. Like someone's jumping to, out of a burning building. Exactly. It was yeah. like the old fireman catch. And so I was finally able to, after a bunch of tries, get the line over, get the cord. We shook the drone out of the tree and saved the 200 bucks that the guy was going to charge me to come pull it out the next day. Terrific. I love that story. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. It's better when you see the pictures. All right. So we're going to we'll wrap this up now. Desert Island, you're stuck. You have one album you could bring with you. What would it be? Wow. You know, I, I, it'd be hard for me to pick any single one out. And, you know, after Bill Callahan's uh, announcement, I, I need to come up with something fairly compelling. Um, the one thing that comes to mind is um, an album by David Gray. Okay. Uh, and it would be when, when I was flying back and forth between Boston and either China or uh, Ireland, we would listen to um, their audio uh, they would have the album there and uh, white ladder mm-hmm. was there. And I, I remember on more than one occasion where I would either be sleeping with that piped into the headphones. And it's just, for whatever reason, it takes me back to that time where I had met Trisha. We were kind of forming kind of what was going on in our life. Yeah. And I guess there's a big sentimental attachment. It's not the greatest music. Of course. That's uh, what it's all about. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, that's, uh, that, that's probably gotta be it. Great answer. I love the answer. And I love the reason why. Uh, how about a book? Mm. I don't read nearly as much as I should. I, I think anybody who's worked with me will probably say The Pyramid Principle by Barbara Minto. And it's about pyramid communication and how to clearly articulate things um, and to send your message in a way where it's not meandering. It doesn't go beating around the bush, but you you focus your thoughts and, and communicate effectively. And it's not for me to use, but it would be for me to share with other people. <laughs> so, you know, as a guy who's in communications, I love I love the answer, but I that's the last thing I want on a desert island. <laughs> but, well, I, I guess I would expect <laughs> you to bump into somebody and would want them to, to communicate. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. All right, don't worry about it. How about a movie? Um, I, I think... Uh, so the two movies come to mind, if that's okay. Yeah, uh, that's fine. That's fine. So and remember, the, you're, the on a, you're movie, a deserted island or a desert island, whatever you want to call it. So if you pick like Schindler, Schindler's watch. List, I'm going to be a little disturbed. Yeah. Okay. Over and over again, yeah. my wife and I and the kids watch Elf, even when it's not okay. Christmas. So we'll, we'll watch that movie probably six times a year. It makes um, sense. But outside of that, I think one of the best movies uh, that introduced me to this style of filmmaking uh, was Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. And I could watch that again and again. You know, the acting in it was just so great. Um, the way they moved the storylines back and forward, um, how they revealed what was kind of the result, and then they take you forward from there and then back again. It, just the filmmaking of that was was pretty amazing. Couldn't agree more. So 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. We'll have to work on the book, but that's okay. Other than that, I think you made some good choices. <laughs> well, listen, Eric, thanks again for agreeing to do this today. I really appreciate it. And um, my best to you, the family, and everyone in the Commercial Air Group and the team there in Beverly. Thank you so much. 